Well, good morning. Great job of worship, wasn't it, this morning? And we had a total of six baptisms today. That's the way to start out the day, isn't it? We're excited about that. All right. So before we get into the message, I, I have a few announcements that I need to make that you've already heard them, but I want to really drive them home. We're in this series called Refresh, right? And so what we're doing is one of the things is, is we're trying to not allow our relationships to get stale. And the main relationship we don't want to get stale is this relationship, right? So that means we have to do ministry different than what we used to do it. This Saturday, we're looking probably for 100 people to come in, and we're looking to feed 75,000 people on the other side of the globe. You don't have to be here all morning. They've got it divided into two different shifts. So immediately following this service, if you would go out and just sign up, and I, I want to tell you something. I know right now you're thinking about all the things that you have going on, the things that you have to do, but I want you to know you something. Don't buy into Satan's lie, okay? Because I promise you he's trying to keep you from something that God has for you, and it's called a blessing. Here's the second thing I want to know. <clears throat> Two weeks from today, March 5th, Pastor George is going to join me up on the platform, and he's going to teach me about how to preach. And in between services, though, we're going to have a reception for Pastor George and his wife, Pat, okay? And that's put on by the staff and also the church council. So I want to invite you to that, okay? Um, come a little early, and we want to make sure you get a chance just to, I mean, we know Pastor George isn't going anywhere, but just you want to say thank you to him for 57 plus years of ministry. That's amazing, okay? <clears throat> All right, one last thing, and I may get in trouble with a couple people in here, but that's okay. All right, so... My biggest fear this past week was that you were going to go home this week and you were going to turn on American Idol and you may recognize somebody on there and you're going to say, how come Pastor Bob didn't tell me about that, okay? So, without too much embarrassment, you know that Pastor Phil was on American Idol way back in 18, no, what was it? Not, I'm sorry. <laughs> what was it? 19 what? 2000? Anyway, he, he was on there. Okay, now, this year, his daughter Michaela is on it, Okay. <laughs> So, Michaela has a very humble heart, so she is, I'm putting her through the ring. I know that right now. But they're having some watch parties, and I think as they go around next week, you're going to want to make sure you watch. But the season kicks off tonight. So, you know what? We want to tell the world that we're proud of our own, right? So, I just wanted to let you know. Everybody good? All right, good. All right. All right, so we're in a series right now. It's called Refresh, right? And we're in the sixth church of seven churches. We have one more to do, and I just want to tell you that one of the things that you should maybe figure out about this is that numbers one and seven are the tough messages from Jesus. Two and six are the encouraging messages. So you can go, ah, nobody's going to step on my toes today, okay? But you can only do that if you're going to come back next week, okay? All right, now... <clears throat> I want to ask you a question, and I want you just to think about this, okay? Because it's a loaded question, and here's the first part of it, okay? Have you ever had to stand for something that you believe in? Oh, there's a second part of this question. Have you ever had to stand for something that you believed in and there were consequences for your belief? I remember I was 13 years old. I was living in West Bend, Wisconsin. 
My dad was the principal of the school. It was a Friday night, and we had a basketball game. <clears throat> now, in those days, we really did walk to school, okay? Um, I'm not going to tell you that I walked uphill three miles in three feet of snow, although I did. <clears throat> but I was, I was heading to the basketball game. It was, it was, my, my trip there was only about five or six blocks. And so I, I got my duffel bag, and, and I got all my stuff, and I was headed to the, to the game. And as I got there, I'll never forget this, I could see down the street a little bit, and there were two individuals, they were older teenagers, that were approaching me on the same side of the sidewalk, okay? You know what I first recognized about them? They were bigger than I was. As I was walking down, I remember, 13 years old, as I'm walking down, and I see them coming, and as we begin to get close to each other, where well, we're going to approach each other, I kind of moved to the side of the sidewalk because I didn't want to get in the snow, and I wanted to give them room to pass by. When they came by me, the bigger one grabbed me by the jacket and pushed me up against a tree. I knew who he was, and he knew who I was. They were laughing at me. I told them, I said, I'm just on my way to a basketball game. And then in a in a, in a sneering type of laugh, and I can still to this day remember the look in his eyes, he said to me, do you really believe that Christian stuff? Now, I don't know what happened to me, but there was something inside of me that kind of perked up even though I was afraid. And I said to him, yes, I do. And apparently, the way I said it, although I didn't mean it to say it that way, demonstrated confidence. Did you hear that? I, I didn't mean it to come out that way. It just kind of came out that way. They pushed me up against a tree again, and they laughed, and they went off. Now, I had a decision to make there. Do I change my pants at home, or do I go to church <laughs> and finish it? But, but I, I made it to the school, okay? But I want you to understand something. In that moment in my life, I knew what it felt like not just for, to stand up for something that you believe, but to stand up for Jesus. I understood a little bit more about my heritage and what it meant to be a Christian. And so I want to ask you this today. Are you willing to stand up for your belief in Jesus Christ? And before you answer that, I want to just hear you, let me hear the, you hear these words. There's a saying that says, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Will you stand for Jesus? All right, now, let me just remind you of this. Standing for Jesus just isn't in what you say. It's how you act. It's in the clothes you wear. It's in the things that you do, even when nobody may be watching. That's just important in standing up for Jesus as it is when someone asks you a question in front of everyone else. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Do you have what it takes? And if you don't, how do you get what you need to have so you can stand up for Jesus? Stand with me out of respect for God's word. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse, beginning at verse 7. <clears throat> this is to the church at Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, 
These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, okay? That key of David means authority. It means power. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my gods and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, teach me today that my true effectiveness is not dependent upon my wisdom or strength, but upon the one who holds the key in his hand that leads to the open door, the door that no man can shut. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I think it's kind of interesting that, did I go too far? There we go. I think it's kind of interesting that this week we're talking about the church of Philadelphia. Should have talked about it last week, right? But I just want you to know that here we are, we're on the sixth church, and I just want to remind you of, as you look at that picture there, but we've traveled all through what is today Turkey, isn't it? Haven't we? And remember, what is it that we're doing? We're following a postal route. You see, the angel came to John, and John, the angel said to John, he goes, John, you know that I stand in the presence of Jesus, and he's given you this vision, and I want you to write this down. So John is writing as the angel is speaking. I wonder if he's thinking, hey, can you slow down a little bit? But now he writes to the sixth church at Philadelphia, and the letter that he gives to him, the letter that he writes to them, is a letter of encouragement. Now, I want you to think about this. So if the Lord is having to encourage this church, what does that tell you must be happening? Philadelphia, we've got one in the United States, don't we? It's the city of, until it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs, right? <laughs> but it is, it's the city of brotherly love, okay? It's, it's one of the, the definitions that we have for the word love, that filial type of love. It's a type of a love that a brother has for a brother. And that's what this word Philadelphia means. It's a brotherly love. Now, what I want you to understand is that 
The way that this city got its name is for King Attalus II. King Attalus II had a favorite brother, and because of the relationship that they had, he was named, that the city was named for the relationship that he had with his favorite brother, okay? So I want you to just kind of understand something. There's a little favoritism going on here. And it's between a family of leaders and everybody else is excluded. In 17 AD, something happened in the city of Philadelphia that was devastating. They had an earthquake. And the earthquake was so bad that it devastated the, the whole city lie in ruins. Now as bad as that was, what happened that was even worse was is that for the next year they had all of these aftershocks. So guess what? They could never rebuild. They could never rebuild. So all these people that lost their homes and lost all of their property and things like that, and every time they wanted to rebuild, here would come an aftershock and it would, it would knock everything down. It was a horrible time. So guess what the city did? They're trying to figure out, hey, we need help. So what'd they do? They sent a letter to the government. They called Rome. Hey, we're dying over here. Can you help a brother out? You know what I mean? And Rome said, here's what we'll do for you. We're not going to charge you taxes for five years. That's it? You're, you're not going to send a, a, a crew in? You're not going to send the soldiers in? You're, you're not going to help us any more than that? You're just, going to, you're just going to give us five years so we don't have to pay taxes? And Rome said, yeah, that's probably the best that we can do for you. Something happened to the culture of that city. And what happened in the culture of that city was this. They felt neglected and abandoned. And you know what happens when the culture begins to believe that? That you're abandoned, that you're neglected? You begin to treat each other the same way. Now that's not the only thing that happened. A little bit later, the new Roman emperor's name was Domitian. And you know, the Romans, remember, they always wanted to one-up everyone else. They didn't want competition in anything. Guess what the city of Philadelphia was famous for? They had great wine. How did they have great wine? They had great grapevines. Guess what Rome also specialized in? The grapevines. So what Domitian said is this. There's going to be no one who's going to compete with us. You tear all of them down. So what he did is he sent his troops and they cut down all the vines. Ladies and gentlemen, this was the backbone of their economy. So now they have, they have no economy. They're, everything's lying in ruins. They're still trying to rebuild the city. And the culture gets worse and worse and worse to the point where the people feared the Romans. And so here's what happens. That fear got into the church. And the way it showed up was this. The Jews didn't see the Christians as real Jews. You know why they wanted to kick them out? Because they had a deal with Rome. Remember, we talked about this. And the deal was because the Jews believed, and they said all the time, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Because they had a deal, Rome said, you know what? You don't have to proclaim Caesar as God. What the Jews did is they felt like they could be in danger of that because here's these bunch of Christians, these wannabe Jews, and they believe that Jesus, this Jesus, died and was resurrected from the dead. What's with that? And so they kicked them out of the synagogue. 
Now, I want to remind you of something. This is what's interesting about this. When they kicked him out of the synagogue, they erased their name from a book. And in order to get the exemption from Rome, your name had to be in that book. Guess what they called the book? The book of life. Do you understand? The game that Satan is playing in the mind of these Christians, he's trying to fill them with fear. And he's trying for Satan just to play with their minds because Satan knew that fear always paralyzes. But here's what I want you to know about this church. They stood firm. They stood strong. Now look at this scripture verse here. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. This is what the Jews heard Jesus say. Do not be afraid, for I am faithful and true, and I am the only authority. Now, please hear me for a second, okay? You get a letter in the mail. You've been bullied, you've been pushed around, you got people telling you that your mommy and daddy aren't going to be able to be there to protect you, and you answer to me, and then you get a principal from the principal of the school, and he says to you, you know what, you don't have to worry about that because those people have no power. I'm the one with the true authority. It'd be kind of like, whew. And that's what Jesus is doing right away. That's what I love about our God. He knows where we're at. He understands where we live, and he gives us what we need. And the very first thing he gives to this church, like he does to all of us, is this. You can do it. And remember, I'm the one who's the true authority. I'm the one who's faithful and true. People will disappoint you, not me. I can't do that. And so the people in this church who call themselves Christians took a deep breath. Okay, remember who's in charge. Now let's go on to the next verse here. I know your deeds. This is Jesus talking. I know your deeds. And he says that to all of us here. He goes, I know your work. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing, such community. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Okay? All right, now, here's the message that Jesus is giving to this church. Here's the message that Jesus wants to give to the church at Central Community. Here's the message that Jesus wants to give to you if you're going through difficult times. Listen very carefully from Jesus himself. He says to you, Central Community, you can stand. This is Jesus. You can stand. So stand firm. That's what he calls us to do. I know it's hard what you're going through. I know you never expected to be in the midst of this trial, but Jesus says to you, you can stand. Do you remember when you were little? Maybe a coach, maybe your mom or dad, and you're trying to do something that's hard, and the coach looks you right in the eye, and he says to you, you can do it. You can stand. And what happens? It gives you that burst of courage, right? Now, here's the question. How do we do it? How do we stand firm? 
And here's the answer to that, okay? You have to embrace, you have to embrace the I don't know of Ephesians 3.20, okay? So before I get into that, let's read this together. Here we go, ready? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. All right, now that verse tells us right there that we serve the God of impossibilities. But it also tells us that this God of impossibilities doesn't always tell you how it's gonna end up. And so what the Bible is teaching us here is embrace the I don't know. You don't have to know. And that's what the people in those days in Philadelphia believed. They believed what God said. And here's what they believed. If the people did their part, God, look at that word, had to do his part. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Bob? God has to do it because he's bound by his own word, by himself. So here's what I want you to understand. In wherever you are, in whatever you're going through, this is what Jesus tells you. Where you are in the I don't know, you don't know what's gonna happen, find peace, find comfort there, because here's why. You serve a God who has and can come up with answers to your prayers and problems that you aren't even capable of thinking about. Amen, Pastor Bob, preach it. <laughs> so let me, let me give you an example of what that is. So when we were in, in Florida at South Lake Wales Church of God, we were on a college campus. And so naturally, we just started working in, in ministry with the kids. We invited them over to our house. We'd, Lori'd play games. She'd feed them, send good food home with them. We'd go to their games, all that kind of stuff. You know that story. And then one day over at our house, this kid came that I didn't know. Neither one of us knew. He's a big boy too. And he didn't come from Warner University. He came from the school across the lake, which was called Weber University, which was a very liberal university. They only went to school four, out of five, four, four days out of, out of the week, and they sold alcohol right on campus. Now, a lot of people are thinking, huh, what's the number of that school? No. So here's what happened. So he shows up. And we start getting to know him, and he tells us about his testimony and that kind of stuff. And one day he says to me, he says, Pastor Bob, he said, um, on Tuesdays, there are two or three of us that we have a Bible study in the student union over at Weber, over at our school. And I said, cool. I said, uh, could I show up to that sometime? He goes, yeah, come on. So the next Tuesday, I went over there into the student union, and sure enough, there there were, there's two others there. And we started to open the Bible, and we just started talking. But what I was looking at was, I wasn't paying attention very much, but what I was looking at is there were people all over the place. There were students everywhere. And I'm going, Lord, what could we do here? I had a brilliant idea. It wasn't mine. It came from the Lord. So I went home, and the next week I said, I'm coming back. So I came back, and this week I came back with pizza. <laughs> Every student knows. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so here's, I came back with four or five boxes. You know what? We handed pizza out to everybody that night. That continued on for a while, and our Bible study grew and grew and grew, and then one night, this one young man comes to me and says, hey, Pastor Bob, um, the president of the university wants to talk to you. <laughs> I went, uh-oh. <laughs> but what happened was this, is that it was, it was a lady, and so we got done with our Bible study, and sure enough, I went out, and she rolled down her window, and she said to me, she said, are you, are you 
Pastor Bob, are you the pastor from South? I go, yeah, I am. She goes, are you the one that's bringing pizza into the, and I'm thinking, guilty as charged. And she said, um, I'd like to pay for the pizza next week. Excuse me? She said, you know, I've heard about kind of what's going on, and you know what? I, I've got money in a fund, and I'm going to buy the pizza for the kids from now on. I go, all right. I never saw that one coming. So we continued on. God wasn't done yet. You know what happened? One day in chapel at our church, one day at chapel at the university, four of the football players from Weber University walked into the chapel. Everybody was in shock. Guys, that's the God we serve. And all he tells us to do is be, do this. Be faithful where you are. Because if you're faithful where you are, you don't have to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. Now, I want you to remember this, okay? There are two things that we are called to do. And I want you to remember that when we do what we're called to do, God always does what he promises to do. And here's the first one, is it's our behavior. It's all about God's word and God's truth. Now I want you to think about this, this behavior thing, okay? You know what it means? It means that we're supposed to love each other. Can you imagine what would happen to this church if we would just love each other? If we would fall in love with God and we would love each other, I guarantee you, if we'd love each other the way God wants us to love each other, we couldn't hold the doors from all the people that would be coming. Here's what I want you to remember. Don't ever forget this. Little decisions lead to big results. Here's what God was telling the church. You know how the church became a great church? You know how any church becomes a great church? It's on little faithful decisions over a period of time. Why is that true? Here's why. Because faithfulness makes God open doors. Faithfulness makes God open doors. Here's the second thing, the truth of God's word. So the people there, as they stood firm and stood strong, what they realized was this. They came to the conclusion of who they were. In fact, in the Bible that we just read, remember what it said? God said, you're weak. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be called weak. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, you are weak, but because you are weak, you are strong. What did he mean by that? Here's what he means. When you embrace the fact that you are weak, in other words, you embrace the fact of who you are, God's strength comes and will overpower and will overcome and give you everything that you need to accomplish what it is that you need to accomplish. Let me give you an example of what that means. So this last week, I was watching the KU Oklahoma State game. And as I was watching, um, I was watching one of the players, Grady Dick, okay? Grady Dick was a basketball player here in Wichita. He went to collegiate, and then he finished out at Sunrise Christian Academy, right? Everybody know who I'm talking about? So Grady's a very talented young man. He got National Player of the Year. I mean, he's it. He goes to KU. Now, one of the things that's happened in his very first year is we all know kids can be pretty cruel. 
And so what happens, every time that Grady would miss a shot, the whole student section, because of his last name, came up with a chant. And the chant is a horrible chant, and it's something that's very degrading. It would make anybody feel bad. Well, just as he had missed one, and the whole, the whole student section was, was yelling at him this chant, they went to a TV timeout. But just before they went to the TV timeout, they gave us a picture of Grady Dick. And you know what he had on his face? A smirk. It kind of surprised me for a freshman. He had a smirk on his face. So I decided, I want to find out more about this. So I called his coach. Not Bill Self, okay? His high school coach, Luke Barnwell, at Sunrise Christian Academy. I said, Luke, I said, I need some information from you. Tell me about Grady. I said, here's a young man. He's very gifted. He's very talented. Man, he shoots the lights out. But tell me about his last name, and tell me about the pain that he's gone through in his life because of his last name. And he said, oh, Pastor Bob, boy, what that boy has gone through. I said, I'm sure there were plenty of tears that have been shed over that. And he said, well, there were. But he said, what you need to understand is that his family taught him, now listen, to embrace his name. What do you mean by that? His family let him know and taught him to remember that this name demonstrated to whom he belonged. From that moment on, when people would make these horrible things and say these horrible things about him because of his last name, now you know why he has a smirk on his face. Because it just reminds him of to whom he belongs. What I want you to hear this morning, church, is this. When you're going through difficult times, Jesus tells you the way you get strength is you embrace to whom you belong. You see, you're a child of God. You see, your God is greater and can do things that no one else could ever do. You see, you're a child of a God who loved you so much that even though you're a lump of clay, he sent his son to the cross to die in your place. That's the God that you serve. So when you go through difficult times and you feel weak, embrace the fact, I am weak. God, I'm telling you, I am weak. And watch what he will do in your life. You see, people who have unbelief in their life see trials as obstacles. But people who live by faith see trials for what they are, they're opportunities. And here's what I've learned about trials. When I'm going through trials in my life, it's usually an affirmation that God is doing something bigger behind the scenes. Now, let's go on, we're almost done, okay? Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And we don't know exactly what that trial is, but we know that this reference is to the ultimate trial of evil that's going to come at the end of the time before Jesus comes back, okay? Now, one of the things that Jesus demonstrates to us is this. He demonstrates to us our, his undeserved favor. In other words, what he says, 
I'm going to protect you in the midst of this great trial that's coming. Now, why would Jesus protect us in the midst of the trial? Very simply, because when you're obedient to Christ, he always protects his kids. Look at something here. The people are not preserved from trials by removal from the trial, but their faith is preserved through the trial because they have been sealed by God. God's not going to remove you from what you're going through, so stop asking him to. You know what you need to say to him? Okay, Lord, you've told me. You've told me that you'll watch over, you'll protect me. This trial is for my benefit, and you know what? I want you to get the glory in this. And so, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I am too weak. I can't handle it. These issues that I've been dealing with in my life that I keep making mistakes over and over again, I can't do it on my own. I need you to do it. And Jesus says, now I have you where I need you to be. Now watch what happens. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. All right, this is very important for you to understand. I brought a couple things. This thing weighs three tons. Aren't you impressed? (laughs) So I want you to see what it is that God is teaching us here, okay? Do you remember I told you that the church at Philadelphia, do you remember I told you that they had earthquakes? So what happened was, is because they had these earthquakes, whenever they would come, people would do one of two things. The majority of people would leave town. And what they would do is they'd live in these stick huts. But there was another group of people. You know what they did? They ran to the pillars. They ran to the pillars. Now why is that? because the pillars were strong, because the pillars had staying power, because the pillars would keep them safe, because the pillars were so strong that even the earthquakes could not destroy them. Do you remember what Jesus just said? He said, I will make you so that you have the strength of the pillars. In other words, what Jesus was saying to you is this. I'm going to make you so strong that in the end, the only thing that's going to be standing are going to be these pillars and me. You see, Jesus is telling us is that he's going to make us into one of these pillars that can handle any earth-shaking trial that is sent our way. And in the end, when it's all said and done, we will stand, but not only us, but the Lord Jesus Christ. You think that's true? I want to show you a picture of Philadelphia today. That's our God. That's our God. After all these years, look what's still standing, the pillars. 
And that's what God is saying to you and I. That's what you're going to be like. You're going to be so strong because you embrace the fact that you're weak. And in the end, ladies and gentlemen, it's only going to be you and I and the Lord Jesus that are going to stand. And there's the proof. One last thing. When I was growing up and my dad was the principal at the school I was at, there was a teacher, well, actually, who was the custodian. His name was Mr. Bird, Ken Bird. And the thing, reason I remember him is that, man, he had the biggest ring of keys I've ever seen in my life. And every time he walked someplace, you could hear him coming because he jingled all the time. But what was impressive about him is that whenever he went to a door that was locked, he always knew the exact key that was needed to open that door. So I want to ask you a question. How many of you are pounding on doors that are locked? How many of you in your life are shaking the door and rattling it with all of your might and the door's not being opened? Maybe there's something that you believe that God has for you to do. Maybe you're going through a difficult trial and you're just not getting the answers you're looking for. I want you to listen very carefully to the answer or to the message of the key that Jesus is trying to teach us. And it's this. Get to know the person who has the key that will open the door. And Jesus tells us that the door that he opens, no man can shut. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jesus is starting to do something here at this church in Central Community. This whole idea of refresh did not happen by accident. And I want you to know that I believe, in fact, the church is getting ready for what it is that the Lord Jesus has for us. We've done some really neat things in this church. We've influenced a lot of people's lives because of you and your generosity. But you know what? I need you to know this. God's not done with us yet. And I pray all the time that God would give us and open more influence in our church so that we can influence more lives for him. In a few weeks or a few months, we'll begin to unfold that for you, but I want you just to sense that something is coming. And I want you to know that, you know what? We're gonna have tough times. There's gonna be some trials that we're gonna go through. But I hope that when those thing times happen that we remember this, Satan can only react to what God is doing. And the harder it gets, the more trials we have, we gotta keep pushing through and we've gotta stand and stand firm because God is telling us, stand firm, and I will make you one of these pillars. I believe in Wichita. I believe around this world that there are people who are on their knees praying right now. God, send me someone who has the key that can open the door to ministry and life for me. And here we are this morning, and God is saying, get ready. It's about to happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you, Lord, that you never allow us just to sit on our laurels. You are continually beckoning us to come up higher on the mountain. And every time we come climb one mountain, we see there's another mountain behind it, and it's even higher. And where are you? You're on the, hot, the mountain of the, ne the next mountain at the peak saying, come on, come up here where I am. Lord, we know that sometimes it's tiring, sometimes it's exhausting, 
We know that there's times that we will say, Lord, we just don't have the strength. But when we are weak, Lord, that's when you are strong. So, Lord, whatever you have for us, what we want you to hear us say is this. We're going to stand, and we're going to stand firm. Not in our strength, but in the strength of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen? All right, should stand, and I'm going to give you the benediction, and then I'm going to dismiss you, okay? Receive your strength from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his strength, and his joy. God bless you. Have a good week. We'll see you next week.